0: Learn more at marines.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinin Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of turnonthejets.com. Back from a brief little break, got to do a little traveling back to the homeland. Lived up to the hype, Italy. I got to give you credit. Highly recommend, if you can, take that trip out to Ravello and Positano. I miss it already. I miss it already. Uh, We're back today with a mailbag episode. I'm going to do about 20, 25 minutes of your questions that got through on Twitter. We're also going to have another episode on Saturday. That will be our more traditional interview format. Uh, Guest TBD, but look for that in your feed on Saturday as well, along with this running a little later in the day. On Thursday, as always, eight ratings away from 500 on iTunes. Hit us with that rating. Hit us with that review. Subscribe. Also available on Spotify, Google Play. Remember to check out our merch store at The Loyalist. Got that new Quinn Williams shirt. Got that new Adam Gay shirt. Take advantage of it, huh? Uh, Again, as always, appreciate your questions on Twitter. I'm just at Jay Caparoso. Make sure to stay with us us at turnonthejets.com. Big spike up in our writing content. Uh, The past few days since I've been back, Joe Blewett, cranking through some film breakdowns A Kalecci Assembly, Greg Dorch. Uh, I also did a write-up on the state of the GM search, uh, and more to come throughout the rest of the week and the weekend. All right, let's dive into the questions. First question comes from Brett the Jet at Sport Equips. Lots of articles about Darnold's progress in OTAs. Is it possible to see such progress in practices, or is it all going to come down to what he does in September? Look, every time we read about a positive Sam Darnold OTA, mini camp or practice, I'm going to be more than happy to screenshot it, put it next to a happy picture from the Sopranos, because it's good news. He's a 21-, 22-year-old quarterback who's playing well and showed good flashes last year. Does it ultimately mean anything? No. Of course, what matters is how he plays in the regular season. I don't doubt that this guy is going to get better from year one to year two. The question is how much better and how many games this year could he clearly be the best quarterback on the field? And that's going to go a long way to determining whether this team can get over the hump at seven or eight wins or they're going to stay under 500. So it's very good news that he's playing well in the offseason. It will be very good news if he plays well in the preseason and in training camp. At the end of the day, it's going to matter how he plays against Buffalo week one, Cleveland week two, New England week three, et cetera, et cetera. That's where that's where it counts. Uh, Next question is from Richie B. At yes, underscore, it's Richard. No one is really talking much about Perry Nickerson or Derek Jones for the number two CB spot. As Is Roberts by default, even though reports have Robbie just toying with him so far in OTAs, or will they try to make a trade for one of the Vikings corners with a late round pick? I would not be surprised if they made another veteran addition at corner. They may wait and see who gets cut in final roster cutdowns rather than making a trade, but making a trade could potentially be on the table. They have an extra late, late round pick because they traded Darren Lee. Uh, we know the Vikings have been potentially looking on, looking at moving on from a guy like Trey Wayne, so. Uh, this is a potential position where they need more veteran help. I don't think Perry Nickerson is going to be a serious contributor this year. I think he, they drafted him to be a nickel corner. The old regime did. They went and signed Brian Poole to take that job. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see Nickerson on the outside. Jones' flash really good potential in the preseason and in training camp, but he's very raw and untested. I also think he's a little banged up right now. Not that it you know, matters all that much in May. But it does kind of seem like Roberts would be the guy. While I'm not that big of a fan of him, and think he's been a little overrated by fans the past two years, hard to say. You wouldn't feel a little better if Morris Claiborne was on the roster right now, and they could probably get him for next to nothing at this point. The depth overall is just so, uh, so concerning. Um, because you know you have Johnson, Roberts, and Poole as your top three, and if one injury hits any of those three guys, it gets really ugly, really fast. Uh, it's definitely a position the Jets need more help at. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question from Peter J. Dillard at Big Pedro 3636. It seems like the Johnsons are long-suffering when it comes to coaches. How long do you think Gase, the usurper, will get if the Jets start off poorly or go on a tailspin? Most fans, myself included, will be calling for his head if this happens. And would GM go too? Look, let's let's try to be optimistic here and go with the Jets hiring Joe Douglas, who rightly demands full control of the roster and has his autonomy from Gates, despite their previous relationship. I've said before, and i said it again, with the Jets' decision to hire an experienced NFL head coach from their division without any gap in between, you expedite what the immediate expectations are. There's no learning curve. There's no onboarding ramp, especially after you win a power play in the front office. If Gase goes 6-10 or 7-9 and nine this year, the Jets are well within their bounds to fire him and let the new GM they hire lead the search, which would be a more traditional route than Chris Johnson, interim, G- interim GM Adam Gase, and the business consultant legal affairs associate they have helping uh, them with the search. I would not see any scenario where they fire the GM that they hire now after it wouldn't even be a full year. It'd be like seven months. Uh, but Gase... If Gase goes six and ten, seven and nine, and the media turns on him, which they're going to be more than happy to do because of how he treats them, which is you know you could treat him that way if you win, uh, not if you're five hundred or losing. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, and I think I think it's within bounds. Gase goes nine and seven, ten and six this year. That's going to be considered a success as it should be. He'll be back eight and eight. Probably kind of depends what kind of eight and eight it is, but it'll be a borderline situation. So uh, I do think there's a very real chance he's not the coach. Uh, next year, but if you had to ask me today, bet on it, I'd say he gets at least two years here. Uh, from Doug Augusta, as a drowning Jets fan, what kind of life raft can you throw me to cling on and save hope for the season future? Is it Darnold's development? You answered your own question. It's Darnold's development. Darnold is the cure-all for all of the potential chaos around the organization. Now, I've been saying this pretty consistently as you know, I've tried to analyze what's happened with this team this offseason. If Darnold goes from intriguing promising to great and makes that Jared Goff Carson Wentz-esque year two jump a lot of these problems around the Jets are not going to matter because they're going to have the best quarterback in a lot of their games and that's going to be a huge benefit to them and allow them to, to win a lot of football games and if you have a great young quarterback it's a huge advantage in the NFL so Darnold again I'd be shocked if he does not get better from year one there's just too much talent too much work ethic, you hear nothing but positive things about the guy. Uh, it's just a matter of how much better he gets. And if he goes to being uh, the same type of leap that we've seen from some other young quarterbacks recently, the Jets could very well be a 10-16 and, and back in the playoffs uh, because there is some talent around him on offense. It's not a barren roster, as someone suggests. There are major offensive line concerns, which could ruin everything. Uh, but Le'Veon Bell, Chris Herndon, Robbie Anderson, Quincy Nua, Jamison Crowder, Good top five options for Darnold in year two. Uh, it's just a matter of keeping him upright and him taking advantage of that talent. From Israel D at Israel DM S7, who would you want as a Jets GM and why? Uh, this came through pretty clearly, I hope, in my article that I wrote on this yesterday. I think Joe Douglas is rightly the front runner. Um, it's very hard to project how any of these personnel executives are going to be when they get into the big chair of being a GM. Douglas has. The reputation, that reminds me a lot of how people talked about Chris Ballard before he eventually got hired, and he's been excellent for the Colts. Doesn't mean he's going to be the next Chris Ballard, but he if you look at the organizations he came up through, the Ravens with Ozzie Newsome, and then being with the Eagles the past four or five years, one of the most successful and more progressive-thinking organizations in terms of how they play the game build their roster – it's encouraging. And if you talk to anybody around the Eagles, Eagles fans, Eagles analysts, they speak extremely high, highly of him and do not want to see him go as Howie Roseman's number two guy. And um, there doesn't seem to be much doubt that if Douglas doesn't take the Jets' job, he'll definitely be a, a GM somewhere next year. So the Jets get Douglas. I think it's going to be a huge win for them. Uh, Patton turned them down as expected. I do think there's. Based on at least resume and reputation, and again, sometimes reputation means nothing in league circles, there does seem to be a pretty step down, pretty big step down to the other three guys they are potentially considering, which is Champ Kelly, uh, Scott Fitterer, and and then yesterday, uh, Terry Fontenew from the Saints. So Douglas is front frontrunner for a reason. Let's hope the Jets find a way to close it. He's interviewing with them over the weekend. Um, so we'll see how that goes. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question from Dean McGowan. What moves can an incoming GM look to make, particularly at corner and center? I think rather than jumping into the trade market, I think this is going to be a situation where we're going to get into training camp uh, and we're going to see who's a surprise roster cut, who's still out there on the waiver wire, and they make a late addition that could potentially end up playing a lot of reps. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see who that prospective player is. But I expect veterans added both to the offensive line and corner at some point over the summer before we hit week one. Um When there's final roster cutdowns, when there's some surprise injuries, I just think there'll be some type of movement at those two positions. And, you know, you can't really bank on getting great and exciting names at that point. There's going to be a reason if certain people get let go or whatever, but maybe you can do better than Jonathan Harrison and Daryl Roberts, which I think would be the goal uh, for anyone who's making this team's personnel decisions. Next question, uh, an interesting one from uh, Matthew Moret. At M underscore If every single GM job was hypothetically available, where would the Jets rank in terms of most desirable? Um, it's a good one. Um, you know, I think if you look at their overall situation right now, the headline positives are Darnold. Um, they have their full collection of draft picks next year. They're in a reasonable salary cap situation. I think they're projected to have the 17th most cap space in the NFL, so not... Terrible, not great, not good—you know, right in the middle of the pack. Uh, you have Le'Veon Bell. You have a couple other intriguing young pieces. You just used a third pick in the draft on Quentin Williams. Before that, you took an all-pro safety in Jamal Adams. Um, look, you can't just factor in the football stuff. There's also the business stuff with it, and the Jets don't have a good reputation for that stuff right now, and they've earned that. Uh, they have an interim owner. No one knows who's going to be the owner uh, in a year or two. Is it going to be Woody? Is it going to be Chris? They just went through a messy situation with how they fired their GM, although it was the right move. Um, And there does not seem to be a lot of positive sentiment coming out of how they've handled their recent round of head coaching interviews, which did ultimately net them uh, Adam Gase. So look, realistically, if you stripped everything down, I bet you most people would say that the Jets is like a bottom, bottom 10 job for being most desirable. And that's more because of the organization's reputation and struggles the past 8 to 10 years, uh, more so than an indictment on a guy like Sam Darnold or some of the other young talent they have. I think from a, a talent perspective, the Jets, if you took out the business or the organization history, it's probably middle of the pack, closer to top half. Uh, but when you factor in the uncertainty around the owner... Um, How quickly the Jets have moved on, GMs will not forget how quickly they fired John Idzik after two years because of the campaign that went on about him, uh, and then how McCagnin's firing seemingly came out of nowhere, although it's not quite as unconventional as some are making it out to be to fire a GM after the draft. Uh, That probably puts it in that that bottom 10, that bottom tier. Um, Next question from Aces at ACT. Do you believe that at some point in the season there might be some drama regarding players and coaches? Yes. If I had to bet yes or no, will there be? I'd say yes. It's impossible. Impossible not to think there could be with Adam Gase's known personality in history, Greg Williams' known personality in history, Greg Williams' son on the coaching staff, Joe Vid on the coaching staff, uh, and Adam Gase making very clear that Greg Williams is the head coach of the defense and he's the head coach of the offense, which kind of already like lays the groundwork for a divided team. Sometimes that doesn't matter. Sometimes it does matter, and we've seen it be a problem here in the past before, so... Yeah, look. If this team starts out two and four, two and five, because they have a tough first seven games, could I see some drama? Absolutely, I'd expect it. Um, if they start out fast, a lot of that stuff goes by the wayside. And no one really cares about it. So, like most things, it's a matter of when. Uh, and these things are not talked about, and they're not as big of a problem. Um, and then you go from there. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question from Michael Christopher at Big Dogs Thirteen Eighteen. What do you think Mac ends up? in front office or TV. Also, everyone is killing the Jets hire of Gase, but last year everyone loved Bates saying he was best offensive coordinator (laughs) hire. Scary room reports for the front office thought he was the brightest mind in the building. Uh, I think Gase will go back. I'm sorry. I think McKagnon will go back into scouting. He obviously has good relationships around the league. He does also have good relationships in the media, but he's never really struck me as someone who would want to go that route or is all that comfortable in front of the camera. I'm sure he'll find another scouting position somewhere. Uh, thanks to his relationships around the league, um, I don't think he'll get another GM opportunity, but I think he'll he'll, he'll work in the NFL for at least a few more years. Um, yeah, debate stuff was always confusing to me, and you know you can check my history on this. I had a lot of tempered expectations for him because the resume never backed up the hype. He had had one other year of being an offensive coordinator prior to coming to the Jets, and he was fired after one year. You know, basically the hype around him was because Mike Shanahan had talked him up. Uh, and similar to a lot of other people, Bates seemed to have good relationships with certain media members and a good reputation. But as an offensive coordinator, there was nothing to support him uh, being really good. Uh, so it was weird why there was quite so much hype for him. Um, with Gase, look, he's another guy that is seems to be very popular in certain circles. But at the end of the day... The results are what matters, and he's been bad. His teams have been bad the past two years, and you can point to whatever you want. It's a results-driven industry, and they've been bad the past two years. They ended the year getting wiped in three straight games to bad teams, which is why it was surprising when he got another head coaching job, and he's going to have to prove people wrong. I, you know, Do I think the guy can coach up a quarterback and be a smart offensive mind at times? Yeah. I think the Dolphins did some creative things over the past few years. Uh, I think he's has a resume that points to that that's very different than being a co-head coach and gm and being the front man for an organization so skepticism about adam Gase is warranted jet fans could get mad about it and say people aren't being fair but pretend adam Gase was just hired by the giants or the bills or the dolphins again or he was still a dolphins coach most jet fans would say he's a below average coach um you can't just you know act like people should act like adam Gase is bill belichick just because of you know, certain articles about him are because he has an attitude. He's twenty-three and twenty-five, and he's, you know, seven and nine and six and ten in the past two years. Thirteen and nineteen in the past two years. So he's got to win uh, to back up, you know, the attitude that he carries himself with. It's that—that's it. And he's on a short leash here, and he put himself there, and that's fine. Uh, this is a talented roster that will definitely win more than four games that they won last year. Uh, but it's a matter of how many more games are they going to win. Um, Is this going to be a six-win team? Is this going to be an eight-win team? Or is it going to be a 10-win team? And that's going to determine how long we're going to see Adam Gase here. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question from Michael Parsons. There seems to be a theme with GM candidates that are looking at successful franchises that are run run the right way. Is this a good idea? What do you think of the candidates so far? Any that concern you? Yes. Ideally, it's encouraging that the Jets are looking at someone from Seattle. And New Orleans, uh, and with Douglas, with the Eagles, you want to be picking from teams who have been good. You don't want them looking at, like, I'm trying to think of an example of a team who's been really bad the past few years, like the Bucks front office, they have that long playoff drought, or like what the Browns' old front office was, or the Bills' front office, for example. Um, now, when I see a guy, we know that it doesn't guarantee success when you do this, because the Texans were a good organization with McCagnan, and that didn't work. And the Seahawks were a good organization with Idzik, and that didn't work. And we've seen that situation play out with other teams as well. I look at a guy like Fitterer. You know, he's been the Seahawks for twenty years, which is kind of crazy, and a credit to him. But you know, the fact that he's been there for twenty years is not, and has never really ascended to being that lead guy anywhere else. I think it's a little. I'll be a little wary of it. You know, he was not a popular name when when you read about hear about other prospective jam candidates either prior to this offseason or for next offseason. He was not someone that was considered in the last couple of rounds of interviews. I mean, to the Jets' credit, they tried to interview Chris Ballard in twenty fifteen, he said no. They tried to interview Ryan Pace in twenty fifteen, he said no. Same with Patton. You know, with Fitterer it's like I don't know, that feels like kind of a digger a deeper dig. You know, with Cham Kelly I don't, I'm not sure what on the resume jumps out outside of his previous relationship with Adam Gase. Uh, he has been part of a Bears front office that, after an ugly first few years, has looked a little better. Um, how much of that has to do with you know some of the other changes they made in the coaching staff? I think remains to be seen. Uh, but I do think you know candidly, and again, a lot of this is a crapshoot. That Douglas's resume and reputation is leaps and bounds above the other people that I'll be looking at, and it will be. Rightly considered a pretty big disappointment if the Jets can't land him. Next question from the Jet Ranger Two: Who do you see having a breakout year in 2019 or exceeding expectations, and who do you see having a down year this upcoming season? Fair question. I, let's see a breakout year in 2019 and exceeding expectations. I I think people generally. See Still are underrating Robbie Anderson around the league. Jet fans don't do this because Jet fans love him. But I think if you look how Anderson produced with Darnold down the stretch last year, it's fair to expect him to be an 1,000-yard guy. Um, And I think he has the ability to do that. I also think people are sleeping on the amount of targets or how involved somebody like Jamison Crowder is going to be in the offense because of how Adam Gates uses slot receivers. those two guys, I think, are going to exceed a lot of their general preseason expectations in terms of what their actual production and output is. Um, so I'm curious to see how that, uh, you know, plays out. A little less, you know, further down the scale, I look at a guy like Ty Montgomery. I really like that addition, and I think is a backup to um, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, he's going to be a really nice fit, and I think he's going to be. Clearly the second running back and be involved in the offense more than most people are uh, expecting. Um, I think having a down year, um, I tend to think Jet fans overrate Brandon Shell a little bit. And I would not be surprised if Adoga ended up getting a shot at right tackle at some point. Or he didn't go a full 16 games this year as a starter. I think he's a little overrated by fans. Uh, sort of the same deal. Um, With Jordan Jenkins, I think the numbers are a little inflated last year. With the seven sacks, I think him getting anywhere near that this year is probably unlikely. I think he's more like a three- to four-sack guy. Uh, Those would be sort of the two guys uh, that I would look towards who might be a little worse uh, than their expectations necessarily are. Next question from Gang Green 7. Who do you think has the best season from the wide receiver group, Anuwa, Crowder, or Robbie? Um, I think... It's going to depend on the stats that you're looking at. Um, I think probably if I had to bet who will lead the three of receptions, it's going to be Jameson Crowder. Um, if I had to bet who was going to lead in yards and touchdowns, I'd probably go Robbie Anderson. Obviously, he's going to have a higher yards per catch. And even if he gets less targets and less receptions, he's a good candidate to end up uh, with substantially more yards. With Inua, uh you know, I, everyone knows I love Inouye's game, and I hope he can stay healthy for all 16. I do think he will be... I wouldn't bet on him to have more yards than Robbie Anderson. I wouldn't bet on him to have more receptions than Jamison Crowder. It doesn't mean he can't have a really good year, and I think if he's healthy, he absolutely will. And we'll be used in a wider range of ways than Jeremy Bates did. Uh, but, again, if I'm going receptions, I'm going Crowder. If I'm going yards and touchdowns, I'm going Anderson. I think Anderson's probably the only realistic one to expect to go over 1,000 yards, which would be a first for his career. But I think he certainly has the talent to do that. Um, but we'll see how it uh, we'll see how it breaks out. Ch-ch-ch-ch. Next question from Robert Z. Why should I believe in a playoff run for 2019? If you think the Jets are going to be a playoff team in 2019, it's because you think Sam Donald is going to make the leap—in quotes—the leap—and be one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL and one of the best quarterbacks in the AFC. If he does that, the Jets absolutely have a chance to be a playoff team. They're going to need to stay healthy because they have limited depth in a lot of positions. They're going to need certain guys. Jonathan Harrison, Brandon Shell, Daryl Roberts, to overachieve somewhat to their expectations. And if they do that, maybe they find their way to 10 and 6. I still wouldn't think they're competing for the division at this point. Uh, we haven't seen anything that would lead us to believe that. But if they can do that, um, I think uh, all of those things come together. It's not crazy to think the team could win 10 games. But Darnold is the, uh, is the big X factor. How do you feel about Roberts in the CB2 role? Showed promise, but his previous performance concerned me. I think Roberts is ideally a CB4, not a CB2. I think it's a huge risk to have him as a starter for 16 games and would feel better if the Jets brought back Morris Claiborne or made a trade for a veteran or added a veteran who got cut. I think it's risky to have Roberts as your number two, particularly when you still got a lot of questions around who your number one is in Tremaine Johnson, and we we don't know how good Johnson's going to be this year uh, after what uh, we saw last year. How do you see the Jets using their receivers in the slot? This question is from Daniel Forte. Sorry. We know Crowder will line up there primarily, but how much do Quincy and Le'Veon feature? Does Harden play in line primarily or will he be split out often? What kind of routes do you see each running from the slot? I actually did a breakdown, and if you just Google it, it's like New York Jets passing game flexibility where I talk about this a lot. Yes, I think Crowder will absolutely be the predominant slot receiver. The Jets will do plenty of looks where they have two slot receivers because i will have two guys split out further on the outside. So you'll see Inua, you'll see Herndon flex out, not just in the slot, but also as a split-end uh, receiver. I think Crowder's the guy you're going to see – the jet sweeps, the plays that are set up uh, for potential yak, the quick slant routes. Also, he is a pretty good vertical threat for a slot receiver. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see him on some of the seven routes and some of the post routes from the slot. With new, I think you'll see more variety with how he's used. He won't just be a screen guy from the slot. I think you'll see him outside the numbers. Uh, well, He has an ability to win, particularly if teams are focusing their attention on Robbie Anderson. And I think with Herndon, particularly if Wesco can hit the ground running as a blocker or Tomlinson finds his way to being competent as a blocker herndon can line up all over the place and is difficult to match up with outside the numbers or in the slot uh, because of his size and speed combination so hopefully adam gates is mixing and matching where and how these guys line up and with levy bell he's obviously a chess piece he can line up as a slot receiver and be as good as any slot receiver in the nfl and that's why he was such a valuable and smart addition as we all know it. Very happy the Jets went and got Le'Veon Bell, and I'm sure that he's going to be heavily featured, not just as a runner, but also as a passer. All right. I appreciate everybody's questions. Uh, Good to rip through all these. Uh, This will run on Thursday night, and then we will have another episode out on Saturday. Uh, Thank you again, everybody, for listening uh, and following us at TurnOnTheJets.com.